0: Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Man, what a good day this is, hey? What a good day, even in spite of the wind. I don't know if you guys—I mean, I'm sure you've noticed the wind. It's been unbelievable, so. But it's bringing warmer weather, so that's a fantastic thing as well. I'm excited about that. That's good. Well, I uh, am—I'm the Greg that Dave was just talking about. So I'm Greg Clark. I'm the lead pastor here. Excited uh, to have the opportunity to go on sabbatical in a little while. Excited what God is going to do in that time. Uh, and what he's going to do for, for me, for my family, as well for all of you, as he kind of leads all of us through this process. is going to be good. Well, I really love our church. I think this is an amazing, amazing church. Uh, this is, uh, I love the, the churches of our community. I think we live in an amazing community, and we have some, some outstanding churches in our community. Uh, in fact, I think it's important for us to know that the church is bigger than this building, right? It's bigger than these four walls. In fact, it's really important to recognize that we have other brothers and sisters that are in our area who are following after Jesus and loving Him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're meeting in a building or meeting at home or wherever you are, you are the church. You're the church. It's just such an exciting thing to know. You are the church. And those other people that are in our community that love Jesus, they are the church and they're meeting in different buildings and, and they're worshiping in different places today. And together, we are the church. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful thought. Uh, one of the things that I get to do is is I get to be a part of the uh, Beaver Lodge and Area Ministerial, which is a gathering of several churches kind of on the west side of, of our county here. And one of the things we've just begun doing is we've, we've begun... Uh, we've always been praying for each other, but we've begun videotaping our prayers for the various churches. We've done this once now, um, where I got a chance to send a video to Wembley All the Nations Church. I did a two-minute prayer, uh, and then uh, they played it just a couple weeks ago. And this morning, Pastor Rhea from Hythe Alliance has videotaped a prayer for our church. So we're going to watch that right now.
1: Good morning, Beaver Lodge Alliance Church. I am Pastor Rhea from Alliance Community Fellowship in Hythe, your sister church. Your church has often prayed for our church and it is my privilege on behalf of us to pray for you. Join me as I pray. Lord Jesus, the church belongs to you. And the church which you created in Beaver Lodge many years ago, you established to glorify your name. And I pray that you would be highly exalted. You said in your word that if you be lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. May you continue to be greatly exalted in that community through your church. I pray that the church would be filled with the power of your spirit that they would be encouraged in your hope and strengthened by your love. Pour out your wisdom and your understanding on the people who belong to the church. I pray, Lord, for those who are, who are working through discouragement of our time and, and the disconnection. I pray that you would comfort, that you would strengthen I pray, Lord, that during this time of physical separ- separation, there would be a drawing to yourself and the people seeking your word, longing for your truth and finding their hope and their joy in you. I pray for those hearts who might be despairing and who are lonely and, and who long for connection. Lord Jesus, comfort. and Lord I pray that, that where there is any confusion that your sheep would know that you are the truth. You are the one they can set their hope on. You are the one that lights their way. You are the one who shines light in the darkness for them. Lord, God bless this church greatly by the power of your Holy Spirit. Assure them that you are working great things in them now and through them, and you have fantastic plans and purposes for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: So every once in a while, uh, uh, we're going to continue doing this. We'll get prayers from some of the other churches in our area, and we get to pray for other people in our area. It's just really fun. Really fun. Let me just encourage you to, uh, in our directory, so we have a brand new directory. It's pink. It's wonderful. It's out in the foyer. Uh, If you grab one of those on the back, there's a listing of all the local churches. You could just go through in your prayer time and pray for the local churches that God would move powerfully there. Just such a good thing. Good thing for us to be involved in. I love that the the big church of Jesus Christ is united in our area and we're praying for each other. It's such a fun thing. Such a fun thing. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't differ on some of the things that that we believe, but we are united on the core that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is our Savior, and that he's returning again to take us into into his kingdom. Well, today we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, which was written largely in response to a church's struggle with unity. The church in Corinth was struggling with unity. And the Apostle Paul has a genius solution for their problem of disunity. But you're going to have to wait until the end of the sermon to find out what that genius solution is. First, I want to just take us through uh, taking a look at what the problem is with the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul, written to the church uh, in Corinth, Uh, for two big reasons. The, The first reason that seems most apparent as you read through this is that Paul was responding to a letter that the Corinthian church had written to him and sent to him with a number of questions in it. You can see this as you go through the book of Corinthians. You'll see Paul say things like, now for the matters that you wrote about, and he talks about marriage and he talks about food sacrificed to idols and he talks to spiritual gifts and those types of things. Paul addresses these questions, but as he does so, he does so in relation to the second reason that the book of Corinthians was written, which is an even more important reason. And that's because the church in Corinth was a hot mess. It was a hot mess. Paul had received a report that was very discouraging about the church in Corinth, Though Paul begins his letter thanking God for the church, he quickly moves to addressing several key issues. And here's where he begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11-13. to 13. Paul says this, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, we don't know who Chloe is. Chloe is not mentioned anywhere else, uh, but we can assume uh, by this kind of reference here that Chloe was likely uh, a house church leader or at least uh, a house church met in her home. Um, but whatever it was, she gave a report. She's probably lived somewhere near Corinth, maybe in Ephesus even, but she gave this report to Paul about what was happening in the Corinthian church. So let's talk about this. There was division amongst the members of the church, probably in an attempt to gain some kind of advantage or favor over the other members. There seemed to be this internal squabbling, and some were saying, hey, I, I, I follow Paul. And other people were saying, Hey, I follow Apollos, and somehow that meant a difference for them. And Paul simply says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified if you follow Paul, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? Of course the answer is no, you were not. You were baptized in the name of Christ. We see some of this today, don't we? Now, whether you think about it as different denominations or you think about it as as different personality-driven churches, maybe some of us love to watch Andy Stanley or T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer or some other powerful preacher online or something like that, and we we would like to say, well, I follow the teachings of so-and-so. I I, I follow this person, and I I learn everything I know about the Bible from them. If you're a follower of Jesus— you follow jesus and in fact if you were to ask some of those amazing preachers if they're followers of jesus they would say you're not following me you are following jesus my job is simply to turn your eyes to jesus ultimately we do not follow men and women we follow jesus we're thankful of course for great preachers for great leaders that's fantastic to have them around But their jobs, my job, anyone who gets up here and preaches, our job is to lead you to Jesus. But here in the church in Corinth, the people had begun to idolize their leaders. They'd put them up on pedestals. They'd begun to follow them and not Jesus. And Paul simply says, stop it. Now, towards the end of this argument... Paul, uh, Paul gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the answer that he's eventually going to bring us by the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, the answer to the division problem. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Now, it's important to note here that Paul, though it looks very singular don't you know? Paul is not using a singular argument here. He's using a plural. So in the original Greek, this word is plural. Don't y'all know? Don't y'all know that you all are God's temple? It's plural. But just put that into your back pocket for a moment, because we're going to come back to this in just a couple of chapters. Problem number two, remember, The church in Corinth was a hot mess. They had many problems going on. Problem number two comes up in chapter five. Right in verse one, Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it's unclear in this passage exactly the extent of, of what's going on here. So we don't know the full story of what's happening here, but we do know that even the pagans don't tolerate it. So within this church of Jesus Christ, there is someone who is committing a sin, a, sexually, a sexual immorality sin, that even the people around the church are despising. They're looking what's happening here and they're going, I can't believe this is happening. And this person is not just kind of a connected person to the church they're right in the middle of the church there and and, and he, not only that but let look at this in chap in verse 2 paul goes right in to say this he says and you are proud and you are proud the people around the church who are watching this happen are going what's going on here that doesn't even happen amongst us and here it's happening in the church and the church is proud It's not just that the dude was doing something that was very wrong. It's not just that he was still a part of the church. It's that the church was proud of it. Now, it seems from the context here, and we can actually look in some of Paul's other letters as well and see some of the the temperature of what's going on in the area, that the people were likely taking God's grace it, it, they, were, they were being contemptible towards God's grace. They were, they were taking God's grace and saying, I, I, I'm so filled with so much grace that it doesn't really matter what I do. They may have been saying, Oh, we are, we're not hindered any longer by the law, which is true. We've been saved by grace, which is true. Look how Look how forgiving and gracious we are, which is wonderful. But we're doing all these things and saying that it's okay what this guy is doing. And Paul has to point it out and say, no. When someone sins, that's a big deal. It's something that we're called to stay away from. In fact, if we look in Romans chapter 6, which we looked at last week, here's what Paul says when he addresses a similar attitude in Romans. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because this was a thought. Should we just keep on doing evil things so that we can show everybody how amazing God's grace is? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? And he would have been saying the very same message to this church in Corinth you've died to sin how can you live in it any longer in this case this man was openly practicing sexual immorality and still calling himself a follower of Christ likely some sort of a leader within the church and it's inconsistent at best with the message of Christ we are called to not play around with sexual morality in fact paul says this in 1 corinthians 6:18 he says flee from sexual immorality. He makes a great case that sexual immorality, it's a big deal because it's not something that just happens outside of the body. It's something that happens inside of the body. And here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so important. Here's what Paul says. In the very next verse, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Again, the same kind of message again. You're God's temple. You're God's temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And again, it's plural. You all are God's temple. You all have the Holy Spirit living within you. Paul is just beginning his argument, beginning to gain some steam here. Don't be divided and don't give in to sexual immorality because you are God's temple. But wait, there's more. More problems. That is, the believers in Corinth were having such internal squabbles that they were actually taking each other to court. Now you know, if you have a problem with another believer, we actually talked about this just, I think, last week, maybe the week before. If you have a problem with another believer, you are called to go. If you can't, if you can't work it out between the two of you, you go to the leaders in the church. Hey, can you help us to discern this? Can you help us to work this through? We want reconciliation. We want restoration. Help us to work this through. But Paul says, no, these people in Corinth are taking their squabbles before the secular court, before the other people around them. They're taking their their fellow believers to, to court in front of unbelievers. And the gospel message was becoming seriously tarnished. Because the believers were going before unbelievers to whine and complain about each other. So not only are they divided, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Not only is there sexual immorality amongst their ranks, a kind of which not even the pagans would do. But here also, when they have conflict with one another, they're going before the unbelievers to ask for them to figure this out. Now, all of that's bad enough, but the problems don't stop there. At the Lord's table, the celebration of communion, the church was having major problems. Now, the church at this time didn't celebrate the Lord's table kind of like we do today. We usually, uh, at the first Sunday of the month, we'll bring out the crackers and the little cups of juice and, and we'll share in that together. We'll remember Christ's death and resurrection. But back in this time they would have a full-blown meal. It was kind of like a potluck. Other people call it a love feast. And they would draw everybody together. Some of the people that had some means, they would purchase lots of food and lots of drink. And everybody in the church... Whether you were Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, um, adult or child, everybody would just gather together and they'd have this amazing feast together. And they would encourage each other, remind each other about Jesus. And this would be a a kind of a, a not only a reminder of Christ's death and resurrection, but a time to look forward to the great wedding feast that was going to happen when Christ returned. It was an amazing time. It was actually the focal point of the church. Jesus said, every time you gather together, do this. It was a focal point of all that they were. This is kind of how they define themselves. We define ourselves by gathering together to celebrate Jesus together. It was the definition of what it meant to be the church of Jesus Christ. But in Corinth, something terrible was happening. Look at how Paul sees it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20-22. to 22. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And what he means by that is that they would gather together and they'd begin to eat before everybody had shown up. They would begin to eat before people had gotten off of work at the end of the day, before people could get away from their chores. You go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry And another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. And these are strong words. They don't translate across as strong words to us. But if Paul were speaking this in person, he'd spit on the ground as he said it. Shall I praise you? Certainly not. This was the last straw for Paul. Even at the central celebration for the church, the Lord's table, even there, the Corinthians were a hot mess. The text is plain. This was unacceptable behavior for the church, especially around the Lord's table. So, what is the answer? What is the answer? Now, all through the text of Corinthians so far, Paul has intertwined his answer, his answer to this problem with the questions that the Corinthians have sent to him. One of the questions was about marriage. On the matter of marriage, what do we do, Paul? What do we do here? Paul answers the question, but he also says, hey, you guys should be living for each other. Husbands live for your wives. Wives live for your husbands. They ask another question on the, on the matter of food sacrificed to idols. Hey, what do we do, Paul, with the food sacrifice to idols? What do we do here? And Paul says we should be living for each other. We should be aware of how our freedom affects those around us. They ask another question on, on the matter of our rights and privileges. Hey, we know that we are, we are God's people. We're filled with grace. We have so much right, so much privilege, and so much freedom. And Paul says we should be living for each other. Aware of how we exercise our privilege lest we leave some behind. On the matter of worship, we should be living for each other, making sure that when we worship we don't dishonor one another. On the matter of the Lord's Supper, we should be living for each other, making sure that everyone shares together and no one goes hungry. Again and again, Paul points out we should be living for each other, living for each other. Why? Because y'all together, y'all together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul turns to one of their final questions. Well, what about spiritual gifts? Paul, tell us about spiritual gifts. We've heard about these. We want some. Tell us about the spiritual gifts. And you may be familiar with this passage. If not, Paul tells the Corinthians about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit, who if you've been listening so far, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in different tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. We're not going to go talking about these gifts today. That's something that we could talk about another time. We believe these gifts are still in action today. But we're not going to talk about these today. But I want you to look at what Paul says about these gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-6, to here's what Paul says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work, same Spirit. Same Lord, same God. At this point, Paul is is really trying to to build the foundation for the Corinthian, the answer to the Corinthian problem. Listen to it. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. The Trinity shows up here. The Trinity shows up here, united, giving the gifts of the Spirit to the church. And look at why the gifts are given. Look at why the gifts are given in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good. Not for you, but for y'all. For y'all. And as Paul draws this to a point, he goes directly into this. In chapter 12, verses 12 to 13, he says, Just as a body, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who is Cephas? It is the one body of Christ that we belong to. The one body of Christ. You've been brought together, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, baptized into one spirit, filled like the temple with that one spirit. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of us come together as the one body. Paul repeats himself in chapter 12, verse 27. Now you, again, y'all, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So look around you for a moment. Like you guys in this room or you guys online, if you've got somebody else in the room, look at them and just say, I'm so happy that you are a part of the body of Christ. I'm so happy that you are a part of the body of Christ. Just point at someone and tell them that. Now, if the Corinthians had not gotten it yet, Paul goes into probably what's the most famous chapter out of 1 Corinthians. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding before, you've heard this chapter. It's not a wedding chapter, It's not a. It's, but it's a fantastic chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. But the chapter that Paul goes into now, 1 Corinthians 13, is all about how the church in Corinth has not been doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, Paul's drawing them to the answer. What's the answer to the division? And Paul says this If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul says, Love is patient. When you weren't waiting for the other people to show up at the love feast, at the potluck, when you ate and got drunk and somebody else went hungry, that was the opposite of love, because love is patient, love is kind. When you took your brother to court, that's the opposite of love because love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Oh, can you imagine the church in Corinth reading this letter? They would have gotten this letter from Paul, all proud and haughty and ready to learn some stuff. And Paul says, you, you got no love. You've just got no love. You can read the rest of the chapter later. But doesn't it remind you of somebody else saying something very similar? Jesus said in John chapter 13, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Oh! (sighs) The church in Corinth was not representing the gospel well. Paul addresses all the Corinthian problems in just these these short few verses in chapter 13. Loving each other as the body of Christ is the answer for the Corinthian church, and it's the answer for the 2021 church. Everything else that we do depends on us first loving each other. It may sound trite, but I'm not going to apologize for it. We overcomplicate the gospel. We overcomplicate the gospel. And I think the Corinthians were overcomplicating the gospel. They had so many questions and were getting so many things wrong. The one thing they were missing all along was love for one another. And the unbelievers around them saw it. They saw it. Folks, listen, we do not need to be perfect. We do not need to be perfect. We couldn't be even if we wanted to be. We can actually afford to be rather imperfect. But the one thing that we cannot afford, the one thing that is a non-negotiable, is that we must love each other. In our imperfection, we have to love each other. So how do we love each other? How do we do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways of doing that forgiving quickly, honoring each other, sticking up for one another, not slandering, not maligning, not gossiping. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and I'm sure you probably have a couple of good ways to love each other, some good ideas about that. I think that's probably a good prayer for this week. You know, we're we're in the season of Lent right now. Now, we don't do a whole lot with Lent, But Lent is that season in the church calendar that is preparatory for Easter. It's the people of God preparing themselves for Easter. And usually people give up something for Lent, but Lent you can also, you can also take something up. And maybe loving each other would be a really good thing to take up for Lent. What if every morning from now until Easter you woke up and you asked Jesus, Jesus, who's who is someone that I could love today? Bring someone to mind that I can love today. And how can I love them? Would you be willing to try that? Would you be willing to try that? At some point over the next several weeks in preparation for Easter, to pray the prayer, Jesus, who is someone that I could love today? How? How can I love them? Now, I'm a hugger. And COVID is just a brutal thing for huggers. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but before COVID— If you were in the foyer and I was walking through the foyer, I was touching everybody. I'm touching elbows, I'm touching shoulders, I'm hugging people, giving high fives, doing all the things. I love hugging people. In fact, when COVID is done, I will single-handedly reacquaint the world with touching. Oh man, it's going to be good. But while I can't hug people, and maybe you can't gather together with people or visit people, we can love people in other ways. Like Ernie does. Just the other day, I got a text from my friend, Ernie, which was short and to the point, and basically just said, you are loved. Or like Esther. A few weeks ago, I got a little care package from my friend, Esther, just to say she loves my family. Or like Evan and Phil and Jesse, who yesterday came together and worked downstairs in the nursery area, making that space ready, bigger and better. For when we're able to open it up again, quietly loving our congregation. What is one way that you could love someone today? Now, usually we do questions at the end of the service, and I really like doing those questions. So if you've texted any questions in, we actually are going to answer those questions at our Facebook, on our Facebook community group. So if you're not a part of that, you're going to want to get on the Facebook community group. But we'll write up some answers to that. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of questions, just pull out your phones. Pull your phones out. Let me see them. Wave them in the air. You guys got your phones there? If it's off right now, that's fine. That's a good thing to do. We usually only take calls from Jesus during the service. It's good. But if you pull out your phones, if you're willing to take on the challenge of asking Jesus, who do you want me to love today? And how do you want me to love them? Then just text love to the number that's up on the screen. Okay? Now, we're not going to do anything with this. We're not going to be checking in on you every day. You're going to get a little, little text back that says, hey, we're, we're glad you're joining us doing this. But we're not going to text you every day. We're not going to get on a call list, none of that stuff. But there's something about making a commitment. If you're willing to do this over the next several weeks in anticipation of Easter, just text the word love to that cell phone number as a way of committing that you're going to do this. So... Why don't you stand with me? We're going to close off our service uh, singing this song together. If you don't have that number, that number is going to disappear in a moment. It's in the bulletin on your table, so you can get that number. We're going to close off our song by leading this. Close off our service by singing this song together, and then I'll come up here to close us off with a benediction. So, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, then perhaps this is kind of a strange message for you. Um, it's it's good. Hopefully, you've seen the love of Jesus in some way in the people of God. If you want to experience that love too, there's lots of room in the Father's house. God loves you. He loves you so much. And so if you turn your life to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I'm yours. Come. Come fill me with your presence. Forgive me. Fill me with hope and joy and peace. Jesus will come. He will come and he will meet you in this place. If you are a follower of Jesus, oh, the love of God already exists inside of you. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is God in you. And God is love. The only way we can love each other is because God already has his love in us. And so I just, I just exhort you, church of God, followers of Jesus Christ, we must love each other. We must love each other. Paul ends uh, 1 Corinthians with just a really short benediction. Here's what Paul says. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then he just he just, it's just so wonderful. He says, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So may you experience the love of Jesus Christ profoundly today. Amen. May you know that you're loved. May you know that you're loved. And out of the overflow of his love that is in you as his body, out of that overflow, may you love the rest of God's people. And may you love the people who don't know Jesus yet, that they would understand and experience the love of their Heavenly Father. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.
1: Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are
0: just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray
1: that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.